What I do is inconsequential. Why I do what I do is I get to shorten people's journeys every day. What I love about our hospitality industry is that it's our mission to make people feel cared for while on their journeys. Together, we'll explore what hospitality means in the built environment, in business, and in our daily lives. I'm Dan Ryan, and this is Defining Hospitality. Today's guest is an inspiring entrepreneur. He's the founder of Death & Co. He is the CEO at Gin & Luck. He's the co-author of three books, Death & Co. Modern Classic Cocktails, Cocktail Codex, Death & Co. Welcome Home, which actually just came out on November 2nd. Be sure to check it out. He is the father to a beautiful Aria, a 20-month-old pandemic baby. He's the co-founder. <laughs> He's the co-founder of an exciting new hotel management company called Mindite Autour. He's also a close friend and a former neighbor from many, many moons ago. Ladies and gentlemen, David Kaplan. Welcome, David. Thank you. What an intro. Whew. It's going to be tough to beat. I know it's a lot of words, and um, but you've done so much. And I always feel like you are so much younger than me and you've accomplished so much and just being a friend and watching your rise and all the great content you're creating and all the great moments of connection. I'm just proud to call you a friend. So thanks. Thanks, man. I, I feel the same. I feel the same. Not, not that, uh, not that I ever feel like friendship is transactional. I, I feel like I've gotten so much out of our friendship and grown so much because of our friendship. So, um, it, it is, uh, you, you are a dear friend, but it is also just a pleasure to be here and on your podcast and in this pseudo work capacity and getting to hang out with you. Yeah. And actually, as you say that, um, I knew this before, but it just popped back in my head. The first panel discussion that I ever moderated, which was kind of many, many moons ago, but led me to the path of being on this or having this podcast was we did a, uh, a panel at BDNY. I don't know if it was eight or 10 years ago, and it was reimagining the hotel lobby. And yep. you were one of the panelists. And it's funny if you think about that uh, signpost or that point of time, I wish I could remember what year it was, to where we are now, it's been a complete pathway and like a mission of yours while you're doing bars, but it's also, the, the public spaces of hotels and lobbies that you've reimagined, it's freaking awesome to have in some small way been a part of that. Yeah. Yeah. And hotels are more and more a part of our world. And, and we'll, we'll talk about that when we talk about Minetta Tur. Um, uh, but yeah, our, our friendship and, uh, now longstanding kind of collaboration, um, has given me so much insight into, into this world that we play in more and. Uh, now you went from moderator to celebrated podcast host. So among, amongst the many other things that you do. So I, I love it. Well, thank you for celebrating me. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> You're paying me blush. Um, so when I think of a bar or a tavern or a, or a, a place to just kind of come in, drink, have a bite to eat, it's all about connection. Mm -hmm. And I've found that in many hotel lobbies, Oftentimes that connection is absolutely missing. And how did you put your death and company stamp into the hotel lobby? And how did you come up to that inspiration? And like, what are you seeing as a result of that? Yeah. You know, so it, first our, uh, our kind of mission and purpose, um, well, that some would have been aside, but both you and I kind of geek out on, on the business, uh, operating side of things. And you actually turned me on to EOS entrepreneurial operating system. Um, and so our mission purpose is, uh, we, uh, create connection, uh, or we create experiences and connect people through cocktail anchor and hospitality. So it's right there in kind of our, our masthead and in, in what we do, how we do it, how we really approach everything. And it's almost kind of like a filtering mechanism or the guidepost in which everything needs to fall within. And so when we were lucky enough to, uh, be on the receiving end of just this very, very short, I actually went back and found it. It's very short email from Ryan Diggins, who's the developer owner and, and operator of the Ramble hotel. Um, and if you're, if you're watching this, instead of listening to this, my, my green screen is showing a part of, of the Ramble hotel lobby, beautiful 50 room hotel where death and co Denver takes up about 12,000 square feet of all the public space. Um, so I went back and found the email. It was literally two sentence, two sentences. He was like, Are, would you be interested in, you know, in an opportunity in Denver? Um, and I try to 
answer every email and uh, take every call. I'm, I'm just interested to see what's out there. And so we were really lucky in that he already had a very uh, shared ethos and vision uh, in almost every respect. Um, and so uh, we we definitely pushed both the design and, and him a little bit in terms of how much more we could do with the lobby space. But he was already thinking that the check-in desk um, would be a very, very, very small footprint. And really this would be this kind of thriving lobby experience. Um, and we and we use that term now within Minnetor uh, quite a bit, like thriving in terms of like, it's 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 always always active, always busy, always has energy to it, right? And so we do that through being beverage anchored, but you do that through um, through the floor plan and through space planning first and foremost, right? So not having the space broken up, having every space have some sort of um, purpose and, and activity to it. Um, and so those are the ways that we believe that connections can be made, even if that's, and you and I spoke about this before, even if it's a level of connectivity that's, that's inward facing, right? You still almost want to like warm yourself by the fire um, of activity. Like I always think of bars as like the hearth, right? And so like you, you, you need that, you need that warmth emanating out, not just the glow of the back bar, which of course I love so much, but like the activity and people making something, um, and, and that kind of point of inspiration, um, also acts as a phenomenal point of self-reflection. You can sit there and just be, uh, inspired and in awe of the space. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's really, you know, how it came to be within, uh, within Death & Co Denver. And then we've just kind of pushed and progressed that from there. Like, what else can we do? How can we grow? How can we best service the hotel guests, the guest journey and our mission and purpose? And we're excited to continue to grow that kind of tinker with the ideas in a bunch of different ways. Well, okay. So you use the word tinker and I have a hard time with that because what I'm seeing, like, actually I'm very surprised. I, I've been and stayed at that, at Ryan's hotel and your hotel, well, it's really his hotel, right? But you're, you're a huge part of it, but I've stayed there a couple of times. And when I think of my experience there, it's totally not that lobby check-in, although I know it's there and you're right. That's such a small part of it. When I think of Denver, it's walking into this massive, totally engaged, exciting bar. It's just, mm -hmm. it's, it's awesome. And then I love that you say the idea of the hearth, because as I'm having more and more of these conversations. It's really when I think of hospitality, it's that feeling of warmth, right? And, mm -hmm. and the hearth, I think really symbolizes it. And, um, I, I just love that you said that because I think as through this exploration, it's, it's pointing me closer and closer to the hearth. So when we mm -hmm. talk about hospitality and your experience and kind of the path that you're on, not tinkering, but kind of really breaking things and turning things over, I think, um, how do you define hospitality? Yeah, well, I, before I jump into that, I, you know, I, I love that you kind of take umbrance with, with tinkering for me, like tinkering is really, uh, like Walt Disney had one of my favorite quotes and it's very long. And so I sort of paraphrase it, but essentially he said, um, he really fell in love with the parks Walt Disneyland. Um, I would argue even more than, than his movies. Um, because he could constantly, and he called it plussing, but he could constantly grow and refine or evolve that experience. And you get to work on it every day and over the course of years. And for something like Disneyland, for instance, you like, they have these big, beautiful trees and landscaping, and those are just going to get better with year, years of time. Right. Um, but his, his quote was, uh, you know, essentially to the effect that, um, he didn't, he didn't like the finality of movies. Because once it was done, there were still so many improvements that you would want to make, but it's done, it's out there in the world. And for the most part, you never mess with it again. Um, with some exceptions from Spielberg and George Lucas going back and messing with their movies. But with the parks and with what we get to do within hospitality, we can constantly evolve and improve it, right? So um, that's what I mean by tinkering, like really constantly making it better and finding ways to improve it, um, which I think is just so much fun. Um, and then how do I define hospitality? We already touched on it a little bit, but I think um, hospitality uh, for me and for our company is defined by creating moments of human connectivity, moments and stages for those human for that human connectivity. And again, that can be, um, you know, it doesn't need to be person to person. 
for us, it really starts with um, uh, our teams, our staff, our investors, forming a community and connectivity within those folks, within our worlds, and then extends out to our guests, fans, followers. Um, and it doesn't always have to be people in the room. They can be, you know, fans or followers on Instagram, et cetera. Like, you know, that those are moments of hospitality. Those are our spheres of hospitality. And then uh, cascading that connectivity out into the community and how do we become great um, community members, uh, right? And how do we help to drive that forward? Uh, so, and so, sorry, go on. Well, actually, I want to stop on that one because you said fans, followers, and community. Um, there are very few bars that are out there, just from my experience, and I have a great experience in frequenting bars. That might be my Irish uh, background and last name. Not to make every Irish person a bar hound, but just embrace <laughs> it every once in a while. Um, you've developed such a legion of fans and followers and created this community, not just through the bars, but also through the publications and a language. And, you know, you were definitely on that resurging forward edge of the wave of this mixology and off and like handcrafted cocktails. Um, I know that you'll say you weren't the first, but from my opinion, you were definitely on that coming in wave. And yep. one of the things that I find so incredible is that when you think of, as you said, the investors you mentioned, you did a round of fundraising to grow Death & Company, but not through like the standard way to raise money through accredited investors and all this. You basically opened it up to your raving fans and your communities and your, your followers and really raised some money and it allowed you to do some cool expansion. And I'd love to hear more about that and how, what your thinking behind that was. And then also see like, where's that going? How, how does that tie into Midnight on Tour? Cause I think that's a really exciting story. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So crowdfunding, um, is, is still pretty recent. Um, you know, it's still pretty new in the States. It's, it's, uh, a bit around a little bit longer, um, over in Europe. Uh, and so it, it really wasn't on, on my radar so much in the beginning, we were talking to a couple massive family offices, um, you know, all of them with, with big capital B's, um, but behind them and, uh, um, which is to say, you know, billions, probably obvious, um, billies. uh, billies. uh and, um, you, you know, after finding my way into these freely incredible rooms that just uh, surrounded by just the, the wealthiest of, of, of wealth, um, I realized I was like, who, who really are we to these people? Like, why is this of interest? Like it's flattering and it's amazing. And it's humbling that, that we're in these rooms and that they know the brand and that they're interested and that they believe in some future here. And I did feel like I, I wanted that, I, you know, I, I've always kind of felt like the, the little, the little guy, like the little engine that could. Um, and so it, it was, um, really amazing to, to kind of get that for me, that, that kind of seal of approval, um. And around the same time, uh, someone approached us from Seed Invest, which is a crowdfunding platform that we raised on in 2018. And we're on again right now. We're currently live in a fundraise right now. And, um, I, you know, I went in with probably similar ideas and trepidation that a lot of people would have. Um, and I quickly fell in love with it. Um, and people ask me all the time, every webinar that I do, people ask me, you know, why, why are you in the crowdfunding space versus uh, traditional, you know, VC or, um, family funds, et cetera, we're definitely big enough that we can kind of attract not whoever we want, but we attract a lot of really interesting and compelling conversations. The reason I love the crowdfunding space is, you know, what we just said, well, there, there's a couple bullets to hit here, but, um, our fans, followers, our guests, the, the reason why we're alive and kicking today, the reason why we're, you know, <laughs> again, to use the word thriving, um, it, it's not an easy industry as, as we all know, everyone who lis listens to this podcast knows. We're 15 years in, um, and each of our doors does better than the year before. We're constantly growing, um, both our NOI and our rev, um, by, by all measures, uh, it, it's, it's a great business. The only reason is because of the guests that come through the door and because of the people that buy our books, because of the people that follow us on Instagram. So to be able to offer, to open this up and to offer, um, our fans, followers and guests real equity in the company, they've helped us get this far. So why not allow them to help us grow and actually be able to grow the company with them. And then, um, if all goes as planned and all continues to, 
be able to deliver them um, a great return on their investment while having them participate in this thing. So that's my, that's my biggest reason. That's why I love and champion this. It is just so, so cool. And both accredited and non-accredited investors um, can invest. And so our largest investor invested over a million dollars in the company. Our smallest investors invest a thousand dollars and everyone in between people invest 2,500, 5,000, 20,000, you know, whatever it is. Um, some other reasons why I, I love this space is because we've been open book for a while now. Um, you know, I read the great game of business, got really inspired, said, we're going to share everything with our company. We also run an EOS as we just touched on. And so we try to be very transparent internally and crowdfunding. You have to be transparent externally, which is absolutely terrifying, but really exciting. So why not put your intentions out there? And so it is in line with the way that we believe a business should be run. And then as part of that. Our intentions are put out there in terms of, in addition to like the economics and how we run our business, our intentions in terms of where we want to go, how we want to grow, what we want to do, what we're doing now, they're all out there. So we get some really exciting conversations and opportunities because people are just aware of it and it's publicized. So we were in, um, uh, we were in the New York times, we're in Forbes, we're in, um, Wall Street Journal, we were in, you know, all, all of these different, different publications, um, uh, and then people call us up and say, Hey, I read about you and this and this, I have, I, I'm a developer here. I own some buildings here. Um, and so it can be kind of a catalyst or a springboard for additional growth. So those are kind of my three reasons, three, three kind of like what really excites me about this space. So I think what, in just talking to you, what excites me so much about what you're doing is, um, before the pandemic. If I talk to any general manager about, Hey, what would make your hotel, not any, but most general managers of a hotel, Hey, what would make your hotel really, really profitable? They would say, get rid of all the F and B right. Because it's, it could be such a, a, a drain. Um, what was really cool you shared with me is that especially at the ramble in Denver, I mean, you, because you're leading with the F and B and really the B of the F and B, the bar component. You guys are scratching at some of like the top rates, uh, in Denver. Tell us about that. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, so, so part of this, it, it's, it's absolutely, a, you know, there, there are two parties involved, um, largely two parties involved in, in Denver. Um, right. And also there, there's kind of a separate restaurant, um, as well with a fantastic local, local operator. So the building itself is very activated, um, but within the hotel experience itself, it's really the ramble and us, right? So two parties there. And so both of us contribute meaningfully to driving the business. And Ryan, um, I always call him a partner, but we lease all this space. He's a partner and an editor, of course. Um, but he's always acted like a great partner and that he's understood that we drive, we help drive rate. So he can optimize based upon the attraction mechanism or the kind of the, the guest attraction mechanism that we are this, this, this lobby as being a beacon to the hotel. Um, and in addition to that, we have, uh, we have our lease deal. Um, and then there's a percentage rent deal over, uh, over our, you know, um, uh, fixed kind of basement, uh, rent cost. And then, uh, there's a rep share on events. So the more, the better we do, obviously the better he does in addition to a driving rate. So Ryan has gone in and he kind of looks to optimize rate and EDR on, um, on a very regular basis. So he's been very creative in that. And then we understand that everything we do benefits him and everything he does benefits us as well. So it's a really mutually, um, I don't know, reciprocal and beneficial, uh, relationship. And I think, um, you know, most hotel operators, and this is one of the reasons why we got, why we started Midnight Terror. Most hotel, hotel uh, most hotel operators, um, uh, don't love F and B operations. It's a different business, you know. Um, it really is. Even even though they're, I think, very complementary, it's a different business. And so, um, us having the F and B acumen with the strong B there, and then Ryan having uh, this acumen with running uh, small to medium hotels we feel like we can be this unique differentiator in the marketplace and know that we can find great margin with an F and B. And he also understands Ryan's background is in real estate development. So he understands that, um, if you optimize an entire building, right, the more rev you can create from the building, the higher uh, sale price, uh, that the building can fetch. 
um, when you look down the line to sell it. So from a real estate side, from an owner operator side, from the hotel management side, he understands kind of the 3D chess of how this all works together or can and should. Um, and so the folks that say, get rid of F and B, um, you know, they're, it's just obviously what they're not passionate about, you know? I love the idea of the 3D chess because first of all, I love Star Trek and I had a Star <laughs> Trek 3D chess set when I was a kid. But if you think about the top level of the, the three level board on chess, mm -hmm. that top level, as, as far as how you're speaking about it, it's really, you've managed to break away from cost plus to really find the value and like charge people based on how much they value the experience. And that's a super difficult thing to do. What do you think is driving the success in that? And also as it pertains to the small to medium sized properties, you know, that 50 to 110 room mm -hmm. property, which are often overlooked because I think now, totally overlooked. now yeah. is the time for independent hotels. And I think that it's really exciting if you can tap into that value driver and deliver that. Like, I'm just, I'm just really curious about how you found that. Yeah. You know, I, I think we, <laughs> the truth is we, we find all of this stuff through, um, being very self-reflected, I was going to say self-motivated and almost selfish, but self-reflective, um, is probably the nicest way to put it. Um, I think that everything that, let me step back. The, the best hospitality feels really authentic because it is right. And so when we went and when we created death and co, um, it was very much like I set out to cast myself in the like selfish starring role of the customer at death and co what did i want right and death and co absolutely was not created by me and me alone and anyone who says that i think is you know crazy um these things are are, are the manifestation and realization of so many brilliant creative people but it it should be really honest and it should you should be your target demographic to, to a large degree. And there are some business books out there that say that that's the wrong or dangerous thing. I completely disagree with that. And so the ramble, the hotel experience, the size of hotels, these are the hotels. These are the types of places that Alex, Devin, Ryan, and myself, these are the, the four, um, uh, folks that really make up midnight at chart. These are the types of places we like to go, the types of places we like to stay. Um, the size feels really intimate. It feels like you're almost, and, and I, I know you love this term, you're almost an innkeeper, right? It's almost a bed and breakfast, but you'd have a certain level of anonymity that I think is really sexy with the hotel, right? Like, I don't want to, um, I don't want to feel judged when I go into a hotel and want to feel that level of escapism, whether it's ordering room service for breakfast and not leaving your room until noon, or whether it's like, having an extra drink at the bar or whatever, you want to feel a little bit of that anonymity that um, you don't necessarily get with a bed and breakfast. We got there. Um, but you also want all of these amenities, right? Um, and all of these personal touches. So that that's ultimately how we got to like this size of hotel, this level of service. Um, it, it's what we want and how we want to experience travel. So... If you think about, there's a book actually that kind of touches into this. It's called Little Giants. And it's just basically, hey, instead of being so big, let's just do what we do the very, very best. Yeah, yeah. And just, and own it. And when I think about the, your 15 years of success at Death and Company on 6th Street in the East Village, the thing that struck me, strikes me about it is no one's ever standing. Everyone always gets a seat. You've managed to create this feeling of, I want to say like velvet rope exclusivity without a velvet rope and exclusivity. Somehow the guys who are greeting everyone outside, it's like, let me get your name, go hang out at this bar right next door, have a couple beers and I'll let you know as soon as you're in. And it's, so there's this exclusivity, but it's totally not exclusive in the sense that just wait your turn because we want you to come in and have a great experience. Hey, you know what? You might wait a little while for your drink, but just know that these guys up there are putting your heart and soul and passion into those drinks. And then tell us about that. And then also how you're creating these larger spaces, but still keeping that intimate feel of not of non exclusivity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you, you hit it exactly right. You know, we try to create really inclusive spaces that are ultimately small and somewhat exclusive and that we're limited by capacity. 
Um, and so one of the things that we understood very early on is that um, the, the cocktail space was pretty intimidating. It's still pretty intimidating. Um, I, I do this. You, you can't say that with someone like Alex by your side, right? Well, he, well, I, I, I say this in that, like you go to most bars and still like here today, all the time you go to most bars and, and they're a little arrogant, um, mo most cocktail bars, they're a little arrogant. Um, there's so many spirits that you've never heard of. There's so many spirits that, like I said, I do this every day and I taste through tons of spirits. That's not my job anymore at all. I was barely ever my job. Um, but I still, you know, I'm around this constantly and I'm, I'm introduced to new spirits all the time. There's still stuff on our menus that I have no clue what it is, you know? And so they're, they're intimidating. Um, and so we knew early on that we had to create something that was super, super welcoming, super inviting, really warm, very gracious. And we wanted to, um, inform without, um, people feeling like they were being taught or being spoken at. Right. Um, and we wanted to have this tonality run across everything that we do from the books to Instagram to of course the, the indoor experience. Um, or in store experience. So um, it starts at the door, right? And so we think a lot about like, what is the language around um, saying, well, we're not saying no, you can't come in right now, but you can come in just in a little bit. <laughs> so let me take your name and number. Um, we want to protect the integrity of the experience. We want to make sure that you guys are having a phenomenal experience, not waiting for cocktails and really able to enjoy um, your night once we get you inside. Um, and people have been really understanding throughout the 15 years. Um, and so we've looked to not necessarily replicate that, but understand, work within the spaces that we have. So our space in Denver, we do have some standing, but we'll still manage the door in the same way. First come, first serve. We do accept some reservations there, but not many. Um, and then as soon as we hit a certain limit where we feel like it's no longer very gracious and comfortable in terms of standing versus seating, et cetera, um, we start our wait list. And then in LA, uh, we actually built it into the concept. So we have a little bar in front called standing room. Um, and then the main, which obviously as the name would indicate, allows for some standing is much more casual, is a different kind of side to the personality. And then we have death and co, which is all seated. So we try to find ways to, um, have the highest level of hospitality possible while, um, while still being really warm, easy and inviting. Um, and one of the ways we did that in New York is is the location itself. So I always said, I want a destination with convenience. So no, no false entrance, no nonsense, nothing like that. So we don't want to make it difficult or overly, overly intimidating again. Um, and, but we also want to have a little intention. So it's fairly nondescript. It's on a side street. It's not on a corner. It's not on an avenue. You have to have a little intention to go to the place. Um, but as soon as you're there, we want it to be near a lot of places. So we're telling you, you can't come in yet. Table's not ready yet. Here are a ton of places in the neighborhood. Go grab a cocktail at any of these and we'll message you. And if you can come back within a 15 minute window, great. And if not, we're going to see you again another night. We'll always be here. So we try to find a way to do it the best way possible in every door. And it's different in every door. We try to make each death and co unique and every menu is unique. Um, all the cocktails are unique. So we try to express different sides, different facets of this, you know, little gem that we keep kind of polishing or plusing or tinkering with so i and i think that whole experience of hey there's all these other places go you said before you create this really understanding experience like hey we get you we want you to come in you're welcome but just head over somewhere else if you think about um well not you think about what i see right now with all everyone so short-staffed people traveling flights getting delayed check-in experiences being messed up how do you think that everyone can learn from that little bit of understanding that you create an expectation management where it's like, yeah, we want you in just not right now. And here's why it's almost like a bedside manner of making them yeah. feel good about waiting somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems relatively easy, but it's, it's not, I mean, so much of it is, is, is culture driven, right? It's internal language. It is, you know, um, it is top down and bottom up and all of these things in between, you know, I, I, I have said and proselytized every opportunity. I've said, look, we don't, we don't just wake up every day and, and get to be this thing, this idea, death and co, you know, that this, this, whatever people hold us up to be, we have to earn that every single day. We have to live up to that. 
people um, have always waited a long time to come in. We can never take that for granted. It may feel like Groundhog, Groundhog's Day to us, especially in New York, where almost every single day it's busy. Almost every single day has a wait. But to them, this is their this is their anniversary. This is their first date. This is the place where they got engaged. This is these are where memories are made. And again, human connectivity happens, right? So how do we make sure that we're supporting our teams in remembering how special this is, in remembering that it is challenging to come in? It is not the best thing. It's literally the worst thing to be greeted by a door instead of, you know, a closed door instead of an open door. So how do we manage that? How do we communicate that? And how do we change the culture internally? Um, That's tough. And you, you see it. Um, I mean, you and I travel quite a bit. You see from airline to airline. Um, I think I, I'm, I'm a Delta loyalist. I think they have phenomenal customer service and they put a lot of different things in place to recognize and reward and be incredibly gracious to their most frequent travelers, right? Mm-hmm. That's the way they do it. I think they do a pretty good job with everyone, but of course I travel just a ton. So I see a different side of it. When I go and I travel on a different airline, um, I'm like, man, they just don't really care about the customers. I might as well be on a bus, you know? Yeah. And so you, the, the, from, from the culture to the, to the, uh, the things that you put in place to support that culture and those efforts, um, it, it's, it's fantastically complex. It really is. Seems like it should be simple. Like well, just be I, nice. <laughs> it just be nice. And also <laughs> let them know you're trying as best as you can on both sides. Like you want yeah. them to have a good experience. I want the people inside to have a good experience. And actually, as you brought up the airlines, and it actually, for anyone waiting in line anywhere, whether it's a death and co at an airline at the DMV, I think the tremendously missed opportunity is when everyone's in line and the agent or the person at the door is helping that one person. Do you know how much better it would make me feel if they just, if the people behind the counter just looked up and be like, I see all of you waiting there. I want to give you the same experience from here. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, exactly. yeah. Yeah. I'm, I mean, and again. I, I hate to hammer it in, but that's, that's connectivity. That is a, a level of connection, right? Just looking and, and saying, I see you. I appreciate you guys. I'm just going to finish this conversation. I'll be one moment. I'll be right with you. And just, you know, that allows people to, to shed that anxiety and to kind of calm and level set, right? Like we're naturally very anxious, you know, creatures. I think I know I am. And so the more we can do to kind of address that, for instance, in like in, in a webinar, I just, I just finished a little webinar. We like a webinar seminar. We like to lay the groundwork, right? Cool. I'm so-and-so I'm going to be talking to you about such and such. We're going to go about 45 minutes. We're going to leave 15 minutes for Q and A. We're going to make sure we get to everything. Okay. Now I'm at ease. Now I can listen, you know? And the same thing is true in these moments of hospitality where it's like, I see you, um, even just looking up and engaging in a quick smile, that's a level of connection and then finishing your task and then resetting and getting to them. Yeah, I, it's a, it's, it just seems so simple and it's lost in so many different ways. I wanna go back to that idea of um, little giants and just being small, embracing that size and just delivering the hell out of everything that you're doing for your team and for your, your customers. Um, if you were to take a, like to take Def & Co, in New York City, for instance, if you were to look at the square footage and seating capacity of that, and you look at the number of drinks or covers, I don't even know how you do it in the bar and look at how many you do in a night versus another bar that you just cram them in and you're just turning them and turning them and turning them in a way you're, that must be very stressful for you as an owner, because in a way you're not maximizing the revenue, but you're delivering profits and experience in other ways. So how do you like deal with that stress of maybe like underperforming, but dealing the best that you can, or, or maybe you're just like, I'm just, this is exactly what we want to do. How do you, how do you balance that? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, it's, that's kind of the, the, the fun of the game, right? And that, that is, you know, if you're in this business long enough, um, you have to fall in love with the business side of it. Um, and so the first seven, eight years of my career, um, I was just like absolutely obsessed about, uh, and I still joke and say, all we do is pour, you know, cold liquid into pretty glasses. 
that that's literally all I was obsessed with in the, in the early days, not even early days, first half of my career, I was just like, how can we have more interesting menus, more dynamic, use crazier products, like just push ourselves. Um, and it, it was much later that I fell in love with kind of, uh, the, the creative challenge of the business. And that's exactly what you're talking about, which is, you know, we, we own as operators, we have so many levers and mechanisms, various inputs and ways that we can continue to kind of, um, evolve, change, improve our, our businesses. Right. And it's all supported kind of by the PNL, um, by data. And, uh, we know that, um, we want to maintain the integrity of experience, right? So that's, that's, that's paramount, right? That's, that's over here. But then how can we make sure that we're making our revenue, making our numbers and making our margin, which is, which comes down to your question. And so if it's not a volume game, which we still want to kind of push volume. So we want to make sure that we're, we're maximizing how many people that we get through, um, in any given night while maintaining the integrity of that experience. But then we also look to other things like how can we, um, all in the effort of hospitality, how can we offer more? And what that may be menu engineering. So how can we create more kind of, uh, thoughtfully diverse menus where there's just more interesting stuff to offer? How can we, um, have people add on things to a certain drink, um, whether that's food or whether that's just, you know, when we expanded a section or when we expanded to offer, you know, what we just, for lack of a better term, call luxury drinks. We were like, well, our drinks are already relatively expensive, but why not just offer people crazy baller stuff? We have so much fun stuff. And if we make drinks with it and they want to order, why not? Um, and so we're not pushing people to a price point that they're not comfortable with because we have other things on our menu within other price points. We're not, you know, we're not a dive bar. Everything's relatively expensive at Death & Co. Um, but, you know, you can order a $35 cocktail or you can order a 16 17 or $18 cocktail. Um, or you can order an even cheaper beer or a cheaper glass of wine. Um, so you can find a price point and that's offering them a higher level of hospitality while also, um, increasing your guest check average, um, increasing your overall margin, um, uh, and, and revenue. Um, and so finding ways to kind of manipulate all of, all of these kind of various different inputs and variables, you know, you're fine tuning the machine to, to and, get the numbers that you need. And I love that because I have. Normally I would resent ordering a $35 drink, but you, your team makes it so like, this is a really special thing about, and I'm like, you know what? That's freaking the craziest thing I've ever heard. And I'm going to try it. And it's my choice. It's not like that's my only choice. And that's the other thing is every time I've gone in there, I've always had such a great experience, no matter what the end of the bill is. And right. I've had people go in that are just like, they, they all, everyone's able to find what they're comfortable with, but you can drive that value. You've really tapped into the value. And I think that's just so amazing. Yeah. I mean, it, again, that's, that's kind of the, 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 the energy that we now bring to this or the, the, the thing that I love is, is bringing a ton of really smart and creative people around a table and say, okay, how can we solve for X? right? We have tons of different ways that we can solve for X. We know that we want to get to whatever it is, an 18% NOI for this business. And we know that we want to drive from 2.2 to $2.4 million next year. How can we do it? Um, do we need to sell more events? Do we need to expand our offers or, or our, our, our hours of operations? Do we need to uh, expand our offerings? Do we need to raise pr menu prices slightly? Do we need to cut down on our many total offerings to like consolidate our inventory? Like there's so much you can do um, to solve for whatever your X is in that situation that it gets to be really fun. It's not just the doldrums of business operations. It's like, cool, like there's always always a way to do it differently and almost always a way to do it better, which is exciting. And, and I think that that's what's exciting me about this, where we go next. Cause I was going to say like, Hey, what excites you about the future? But <laughs> I want to, I want to temper that by in this space of 50 to 110 room hotels, which are often overlooked or even, um, just regular select service hotels about what you've created with death and co and also what you've done at the ramble and through all these fundraises, um, and, and the, the current fundraise that you're doing, what's most exciting about what you can bring through midnight Auteur into these often overlooked property sizes to the owners of them, 
the development groups of them and the management, or I guess the, the, the onsite staff that's there as well to help them. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the most exciting thing for, for me in it is, um, it, it is really taking a holistic approach, um, and being able to be guided, um, almost completely by, you know, what is best for, what is best for the teams, what's best for the property and what's best for the guests, right. Um, without almost any limitations. And so because we participate in the ownership of the building, right. We're trying to drive, um, uh, we're trying to drive value that we're trying to, to, um, to improve the position of the building holistically. Right. And then, uh, for our teams, we no longer have to have uh, a hard line separation between hotel ops and F and B ops. Of course, there's going to be individual management and, you know, um, uh, you know, the, the org chart will, uh, speak to everyone's area of expertise and areas of operation, but we can say, okay, um, you know, if it's, <laughs> I was about to say, and I'll just say it, it's good for the goose. It's good for the gander, right? I, I feel like as soon as you become a dad, you start saying like really embarrassing, I don't know, just really yeah. embarrassing shit. And making halibut yeah. jokes just for the halibut. Yeah. Just keep going. Oh, there you go. <laughs> just keep going. It. Oh my gosh. Here, here we are. Halibut talk, talk, talking about stuff. Um, and so, you know, we, we can think, okay, what's the in-room experience and how can we improve that from an FMB perspective? How can we have each thing complement um, each other? You know, one of the things that we kept butting up against in, um, in the ramble because they are separated is, well, gosh, well, yeah. How do we integrate F and B into the check-in process and how do we integrate like exciting moments of kind of like delight and surprise into the guest journey? Um, and it's hard to do that when you're, when you're relegated to separate P and L's and it's hard to do that when management is, is different and there's that kind of push and pull and friction. Um, and now going in with Minnetur and, and saying, okay, as, as a consolidated ownership group, we can go in and make decisions that you might otherwise not make. For instance, um, what does F&B look like at check-in? You know, so we're going to put draft lines in as one very specific and small example. We're going to put a couple draft lines in at the hotel check-in. And so it's easy for, um, uh, like almost completely effortless and seamless for uh, uh, reception while they're checking you in to just hand you a cocktail, hand you a, you know, a beer cider, um, wh whatever it is that we want to have on offering or whatever rotating elements there. And so to just have these little moments built into the infrastructure itself, I think is really cool and something that very few people are doing because ownership doesn't usually for these new properties, ownership doesn't come from both an F&B and hotel side of it. Um, and having that representation around the table to make all these decisions, I think is really, really exciting. Yeah. I love the idea of the draft line for, um, a cider or a cocktail or a beer. It sure beats like the, I mean, I love getting the cookie when I check into a double tree, but you know, mm -hmm. I'd rather, I'd rather get a beer. Give me my garbs yeah. in a different form. Exactly. <laughs> um, as you're thinking about the future and doing this raise, like uh, for midnight auteur, t like, tell me about it. Like how much are you looking to raise? What, where are you looking to expand? Like what, what's your, like, what's your 10 year vision on it? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, um, I'll, I'll tell you, um, uh, our 10 year vision for, for gin and luck. And then because, you know, gin and luck as the, the parent company for, for kind of everything we do within our world, including 50% of midnight auteur. Um, and then I'll tell you what the 10 year vision looks like for midnight auteur as well. Um, so the, uh, we're currently at, um, as of this recording. So by the time it, it, it um, goes, goes live, we'll be more, but, uh, we're currently at 3 million, uh, at a, out of a $6 million raise. Um, and we're likely going to close out our raise, um, in mid February. And I do believe given the track that we're on and the pace that we're on, we will likely cap out. So we'll likely be fully subscribed or oversubscribed. Um, so we'll hit that $6 million mark. Um. Uh, the, the largest use of funds are going to our own, uh, brick and mortars. Um, so traditional lease spaces, reactive and opportunistic deals, largely death and cove, but then opportunities, uh, like one we found in Portland, Maine, uh, where we bought a second generation, bought into a second generation restaurant space. Uh, so we essentially paid key money, took over the lease, liquor license, et cetera, um, 250 K key money, 
really well built out. So we'll only have to put a couple hundred K uh, into it. So we'll be able to open up a new concept for five, 600, five, 600 K as opposed to new death encodes, which typically cost between 1.25 and 1.5. Um, and then within, um, uh, within midnight Atur, uh, we're looking to strategically grow a portfolio of hotels, uh, uh, largely, uh, in the U S if we find any international deals, great, but those will be reactive or opportunistic. Um, we, you know, we're, we're staying U S operations driven, um, uh, and for the use of funds or for this raise, uh, we're allocating funds to, uh, to MA capital. So the ownership of the real estate side and then midnight deter hotels will be the management solution. So no investment from midnight deter hotels will continue, whether it's our, um, real estate acquisition, MA capitals, real estate acquisition, or another developer that brings us in will participate through MA capital in the ownership of that building as well. And the developers we've talked to so far are really excited about this because it sounds like to us, most other management groups aren't thinking this way. And again, thinking about kind of the 3D chess and saying, well, yeah, we'd like to put our money where our mouth is and actually participate in the ownership of the building. And so have alignment all the way across from ownership to hotel to F&B operations. And then what our 10 year vision for this um, is, now it's really kind of our seven year vision as we created it a number of years ago. Um, on the gin and luck level, it's to become the most sought after cocktail company um, in the world. Um, and that starts first and foremost as being one of the best, recognized as one of the best companies in the world to work for, not just within the hospitality space. So that I think is, you know, an endless pursuit um, and one that's really exciting. And I think ultimately speaks to uh, the quality of product that we'll be able to create if we're the best company to work for, we're going to have the best talent. We're going to have some of the best product. I think it's, it's inherent, right? Um, but to us, it also looks like over a hundred million, uh, a year in annual revenue, um, uh, uh, over 40 properties, um, uh, or 40 brick and mortars. And that includes hotel on the hotel side of things. Um, uh, it's our ambition within uh, a 10 year timeline to have, uh, seven projects open, uh, 10 projects, uh, total. So three additional in development. Um, and all of those, uh, would have participation from the MA capital side. So we would have ownership of some of those. We would spearhead, um, two, uh, out of that seven, uh, three out of that 10, um, and have a, a really unique and desirable portfolio of boutique hotels, uh, across the U S uh, all of them, uh, would be maybe not obvious. I was going to say, obviously would be independent, um, the ramble doesn't carry any flag and, and we believe that's ultimately worked um, to our benefit there uh, so that we can create our own brand standards instead of subscribing to others. I love that. And then, you know, to hear seven to 10 properties over 10 years, I just feel like that's completely achievable. And I think if you are even able to scratch the performance that you guys have done at Denver, um, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, that's two or five X, whatever that was, yeah. because, you know, you have a track record and I, I don't know, it's really exciting to see. And I, and I love this independent space. And, and we, we love the idea of creating legacy properties, right? So, you know, I think the ramble is, even though it's a ground up new build, it looks like it is part of the fabric of, of Denver, um, very intentionally. So Ryan sourced, um, he, he kind of went on a mission sourcing brick that looks like old Colorado brick. They don't make this brick in Colorado anymore. He, he sourced uh, from three different uh, brick manufacturers in the U.S. to try to replicate that look. Um, and so the, the level of detail and, and the cost um, that uh, he put into it uh, or the cost associated with it um, are really amazing. And so we want to look to um, uh, do exactly that in every, every new building that we do every new hotel that we open, we, we want this. Um, and we just keep saying this word, this, this idea of these kind of legacy properties, these, these things that are absolute jewels and they don't have to be in major markets though. We have kind of defined our group as being, um, uh, urban or urban adjacent. So it doesn't have to be like, for instance, right in the heart of Denver, it can be 10 minutes outside, um, of the heart of Denver, we believe that we can create destinations, but we want them similar to death and co New York 15 years ago, destinations with convenience. Um, you know, so not looking at like the auberge model with some of their new properties where it's like a standalone resort where you're really going for that resort experience. We do want some complement, um, 
with the the local markets that we're in because we want to you know again have these kind of thriving f and b models and those happen to be made up from more than just hotel guests. And I think from a hotel guest perspective, that makes it all the more dynamic because you feel like you're tapping into something, right? So like I'm staying at the Ramble, it feels like I'm staying in Denver and participating in Denver, not just like in this little snow globe looking out. Did, did you ever see this off topic? Did you ever see the movie things to do in Denver when you're dead? No. Oh my God. It's like one of the best, uh, movies from the mid nineties. And I remember you were probably just being born right around then. I was born in the mid nineties, I'm not that much younger than you, I'm 82. I know. I'm just kidding. But, um, I think it's 30 year anniversary is, uh, Andy Garcia was in it. a couple of like great cast. It's, uh, 2025 will be its 30th anniversary. I think you should have a 30th anniversary reunion with Andy Garcia and cast from things to do in Denver when you're dead. I think you should watch the movie first. I will. It's freaking awesome. I will watch the movie first and then we'll, and then we'll think about the 30th anniversary party. And plus, I think in your next book, you got to come up with a new drink from that movie. Um, they had this thing where they were in prison and then they would, they would always hold each other's hands up like this to each other. And they'd say boat drinks. Cause that's how you would, you, you'd have to like touch each other through the prison glass. And that was like their dream to get to the point where they could have boat drinks. So I think that, uh, I see a boat drink in the future. Death and Company menu after you see it and have the 30th anniversary party. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll let you know how it goes. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll give credit where credit's due if we, if we manifest this into reality. Awesome. And then, uh, you know, you mentioned the little engine that could before, which actually is, I think maybe one of my most favorite books. Um, one of the things I love, it was always this belief that, you know, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And then it changes to, I know I can, I know I can, I know I can. When did you first realize that you could go from, you think you can to, you know, you can. That's a good question. I mean, you know, we, we probably don't have time to, to get into it today, but, um, you know, if, if any listeners are, are compelled, um, to, to pick up the first book and, and read the intro, um, uh, you'll, you'll learn about kind of our early struggles in, in death and go New York, um, and that we were, um, uh, kind of hit by the, by the community board, um, and then by the state liquor authority and, and really kind of felt like it was without rhyme or reason. And it certainly felt, um, beyond my understanding and comprehension, but we were really fighting to survive for, for quite a while there. Um, and, uh, you know, it, through those years, it was definitely, I think I can, you know, I think I can survive. I think I can hold it together. I think I can, I think we can get there. You know, we were closing at midnight. We have a re- we had abbreviated hours. We were not making any money. We were kind of just breaking even. And it was, it was a, a two year, two year fight. Um, and I, I think I was, I think I was 25. Um, when I essentially, you know, I, I kind of had to like sue the state liquor authority and took them to the New York Supreme court. And I was like walking up the stairs and I was like, where am I and what is going on and how did it lead to this and what is happening? Um, but at the same time we were, uh, you know, and it just kind of all magically went away after a, a couple of filings of reconsideration and me changing, um, our liquor attorneys a couple different times. Um, it, it, yeah, just still, still a really wild, uh, experience. Um, but even through all of that, uh, we were just so buoyed by the reception. Um, we were constantly in press and, and recognized as this great place to go. And people were there every single night. We had a wait list every single night. And so it felt like, I wouldn't say we were doing something important, but it felt like we were doing something that people cared about. And it felt like we were doing something that people wanted and wanted to survive. Um, and, and Frank Bruni was the New York Times food um, critic at the time. And bars are, are not uh, reviewed, but he wrote in his blog, um, uh, I, I, I forget what the title was or it's escaping me at the moment, but, um, he, he wrote kind of like a love letter to, to death and co to us essentially saying like, um, like your future is in peril and, and I hope you survived be, because you know, what you're doing is wonderful and, and, and needed. Um, and so once we kind of got past that, um, once we got past all of that, it felt like we started to gain momentum and it felt like we had sure footing. Um, but I, you know, I would even say we kept that chip on our shoulder in a good way for years. Um, and I think, I think that self doubt and that desire 
to almost prove oneself is, is really been one of the great entrepreneurial manifestations or drivers within my life. Um, and so to, like I said before in this podcast, to try to earn it every day, um, I know I can, feels like a level of self-confidence that I'm not ever willing to necessarily say. I know that we can produce great things um, and I know that we can try harder tomorrow. Love that. Um, you said in that story of going up the steps of the Supreme Court, where I hope Jerry Orbach from Law and Order was walking up next to you and there was yeah. the music as you were yeah. going up. Yeah, you said, I wish. And, it, and then you were, just before you were talking about the Frank Bernie part, you said, um, I think you said something like, you're not doing something that's important. You're doing something that's meaningful. But I say that's bullshit. You are doing something important. You are delivering um, experience and inspiration and connection in that warm hearth. Yeah. And so I, 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 I challenge you to remix that. You are doing something important. And it's something that's been important since we've been fermenting anything as, as yep. people, right? Yeah. And it's, it's creating that. So I challenge you to that. Um, okay. So now you're the Dave Kaplan, we all know and love the overnight success after 15 years of trying. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And that, going and going. That's how overnight success works. I want yeah. you to w walk back to those, um, steps of the New York Supreme court. I want you to push Jerry Orbach aside thanks, nicely. Yeah. Excuse me, Jerry. I just need to get to my 25 year old self. What advice do you give your 25 year old self after you gently push Jerry Orbach? May he rest in peace aside. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, it, that's a, that's a great question. And it's, it's honestly a tough one because I, I love the circuitous path that I've, you know, taken and I love, and I think one of the things we haven't talked about, but I try to talk about uh, in every opportunity or public engagement, any, any time I can is failing. And, um, I wouldn't say that I love every time that we failed, but I, they, you know, failure has been a springboard to learning and, and an ex a phenomenal accelerant to our growth and, and to our learning. And so even though there have been so many, you know, as any entrepreneur knows, there have been so many phenomenally hard and dark days. Um, I, I wouldn't. Uh, trade any of them, um, you know, and it would be tough to, to try to reroute around them or give any advice or suggestions that might otherwise do so. Um, but I would, I would absolutely, uh, try to, um, uh, try to impart some level of self-confidence, um, belief, uh, and, and kind of try to find that sense of ownership that took us a long time to take. You know, we, we put ourselves at kind of the kiddie table for most of our, our careers because we were like, well, I went to school for fine art. I'm not a, I'm not a businessman or, you know, Alex went to school for history. He's, he's not a, a business guy. And, you know, we're, we're just, we're the creatives and we're going to stick to our field and, and, uh, limiting yourself, um, inherently limits your people and your business. Right. And so trying to find a way if I could to impart as quickly as I could um, and just walk up uh, on, on the walk up those steps um, to, to just say, you know, trust, trust yourself own own the mistakes, um, but also own the process um, and you'll get there faster and you'll ultimately be able to treat your people better along the way. Fuck the kitty table. Fuck the kitty table. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, this has been awesome. So, uh, Dave, where can people find you? Oh man. Um, I try to be super accessible. So, um, anyone listening to this podcast, um, we will, uh, put up, uh, my email. It is D dot Kaplan K A P L A N at gin and luck.com. Uh, you can also, uh, you know, find everything that we're doing or a lot of what we're doing, um, at death and company. Uh, on Instagram, uh, we have a thriving uh, community. Love that word on there. And um, yeah, please reach out for anything, everything. If you're interested to learn more about the raise, uh, go to seedinvest.com and you can learn a ton about our world, our business, what we're doing, how we're growing, where we're going. Um, yeah. Awesome. And we'll put those in the show notes. So if you're driving, just don't freak out, just log in and you'll, you'll see it there. Uh, I'm going to go check out that fundraise thing uh, with What's it called? Seed? 
Seed Invest. Seed Invest. Seed Invest. They're, yep. They're, 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 they're sounds, com- I'm sorry. They're, they're saying I think it sounds really exciting. There's that delay again. And I'm just like, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm really excited about that for you. And Dave, I just want to really say thank you. I know that we talk a lot. We don't talk as much as we want to, but it's always so fucking awesome when we get together and talk. It is. Well, you know, th- thank you. It's always fun, regardless of whether we're, <laughs> we're recording or not. Um, it really is a, a pleasure. And I love what you have done with this podcast. It is so cool. Um, and I am uh, excited, honored, and privileged to, to be on it and a part of it. So, so thank you, Dan. Oh, you're so welcome. And also thank you to all of our listeners. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And again, if this has changed your idea of delivering hospitality and warming the hearth and pouring drinks, please pass it on to a friend. I appreciate it. Thank you.